Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. Welcome to the Confident Retirement Podcast. Is doing the most important things alone a good idea? How comfy are you with your choices when it comes to life's biggest decisions? What is real peace of mind with financial confidence and how can you get it? Chris Fleming and Mark Peachy are the founders of LPF Advisors in Sarasota, Florida. On the show, they bring together the best and brightest minds to share with you how to have a more confident financial picture. They empower listeners with simple, common sense and financial wisdom. And now, here are your hosts from LPF Advisors. Okay, I want to welcome everybody to the Confident Retirement Podcast brought to you by LPF Advisors. I'm your host here as always, Chris Flaming. And today I have the honor of welcoming Catherine Miller to the show. Her family law firm believes in using collaboration and conversation to reach the results that are fair for all parties. They meet clients at the intersection where law meets everyday people with an emphasis on protecting the interests of the children when they're involved. Catherine, thanks for being with me today and welcome to the show. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here, Chris. Yeah, we're going to have some fun. So you have kind of an interesting background story. I was doing some research on you and how you came to to be where you are. So why don't you take me through that for the listeners, how you found your career or your your practice? Yeah, sure. I'd love to. So I went to law school because I was interested in justice. And I figured out in the orientation week that that was not what law school was going to be about, but I didn't have a plan B. Mm-hmm. I come from a, I come from a family of therapists and I've always been really interested in people, but I thought I was too bossy to be a therapist. It turns out that there are bossy therapists, but I didn't yeah. know that then. So anyway, I decided to stick it out in law school and focus my career on that intersection of the law where it meets people in their personal lives. And so I got a job shortly after law school in a family law firm. Mm-hmm. And we were doing about half matrimonial work, so divorce work, Mm -hmm. and half uh, child welfare litigation. And it meant that we were in court, and I was in court a lot. And in Mm -hmm. fact, fun fact, I tried many cases in front of Judge Judy when she was actually sitting on the bench in the New York City Family Court, just to give you a sense of the tenor of -hmm. what those court cases were like, right? Can you imagine? Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, and so after a couple of years, I thought, wow, you know, there's got to be a better way to help people resolve conflict where in, in situations where relationships really matter. And I took a mediation training and I started to try to integrate those sort of mediative ideas of settling and having negotiations about settlement based on the criteria that were important to the people and the families, mm. not so much necessarily what was important to a judge in a black robe. And I started to try to integrate those ideas into my negotiations. And that's mostly in the divorce world, not so much in the child welfare world, which is much more regulated by mm-hmm. government entities. Mm-hmm. And, and in every one of those cases, Chris, I ran into the same problem. And that problem was the other lawyer. 
And it wasn't that they were bad lawyers or bad people or trying to get in the way. We just couldn't get on the same page about the criteria that we were going to use to help Mm -hmm. our clients have these conversations, difficult conversations. And so I struggled with that for about 10 years. And then I got divorced myself. Mm -hmm. And when I was sitting in the client chair, I realized in a very personal way what I had always thought was true, which is that divorce is horribly disorienting, incredibly Mm -hmm. anxiety provoking, really scary, expensive, and definitely not on the time frame you, the client, I would want it to be. Mm -hmm. And so when I was done with that experience, and, and my husband and I were able to settle in a very collaborative way, even though we had a pretty high conflict situation, Mm -hmm. we weren't able to mediate, but we did resolve it in a conference room. We never Mm -hmm. went to court uh, with the help of our attorneys and just kind of get through it in a pretty civilized way. Mm -hmm. But after that experience, I thought, you know, I don't think I can do this anymore. And I don't think I can be a lawyer anymore. And, you know, maybe not the smartest thing to decide, you know, there are a lot of other areas of law besides family law. I could have thought about, but I'm like, nope, I'm done. (laughs) Right. And I, t- I took another mediation training. I quit my job and I looked around for something else to do with my life. Uh, and then a friend of mine said, why don't you come take this collaborative law training? And I, um, I was like, you know, how could this really be any different? Same problem, 10 years, same problem every mm-hmm. case, right? The other lawyers, just a bunch of lawyers sitting around talking and we, you know, we're never going to get on the same page. And she said, you know, I think that you should come. It's really different. And I did. And I have nothing better, better to do. So I mm-hmm. went, I took this training and within 15 minutes, it was a collaborative divorce training. And within 15 minutes, I felt, Chris, that I had come home. Like this mm-hmm. was the way that I'd always been trying to practice where the the lawyers and now in the collaborative process, it's an interdisciplinary team is trying to find a way to help these people resolve the issues that they need to resolve in order to separate and become a you know, sort of a binuclear family. Mm-hmm. And and so that's I got really excited about it. And I decided that that's how I wanted to focus my career. And we're not always able to do it in the collaborative process. Sometimes it's in mediation, sometimes it's in negotiation, and frankly, sometimes it's in litigation. But that we try to keep, and I, and I founded my law firm on this idea that we're really trying to keep what's important to the people in the forefront of our conversations. And the law is not irrelevant. It absolutely isn't irrelevant, but it doesn't necessarily drive the conversation every time. Yeah, it doesn't have to be the the thing. Exactly. Yeah. Okay, so th- I'm curious then, and this is speaking maybe from the business of running a law practice, is there something that you wish you knew now that, or something you wish you knew then that you know now, if you could go back in time and give that younger you some advice? Well, you know, uh, this is a, little, a slightly different subject, but I wish I knew that the business of law is a business like every other business. And that it has to, you have to think about it like that. And sometimes lawyers, and you know, this is fairly traditional in the bar, think of ourselves as being special flowers, right? You know, we have a practice, right? You know, it's, we have these, you know, ethical duties, and and we, and we do, but that it's still a business, and you really need to think about it that way. And if and if you do, it's not a bad thing. It's a good thing because it allows us then to help more people be just more straight about it and and Mm -hmm. adapt 
business techniques that are really helpful to the efficiencies of providing legal services. Yeah. Well, I think about if, if your own house is in order from a business standpoint, then you don't have those stresses and anxieties and you can focus on what you really are good at and like to do, which is what you just described and helping people. That's okay. exactly right. So that's and it also allows us to, to be, you know, if a, if a lawyer is really worried about money, right, like making money herself or paying their employees and, and don't, doesn't have that stuff kind of working, then that's the thing that I think clients or potential clients worry about is that mm-hmm. lawyers are going to take advantage of them, they're, that their interests are not aligned with the client's interests. You know, they, mm-hmm. you know, the longer this goes on, the more it's going to cost me, the more money my lawyer is going to make. Mm-hmm. And if you really have a, an efficiently run business, then, you know, as a lawyer, you don't have to worry about that. Yeah, you're eliminating as much as you can or mitigating the conflicts of interest where you can just where you can just focus on them. Exactly. There's some carryover in our industry there too as well. So maybe describe uh what you consider to be an ideal client for your practice. Sure. I think an ideal client for us is someone who is obviously understandably upset by Mm -hmm. the fact that they're going through a divorce, whether or not they chose it or not, because some I chose to get divorced. And I still think it's not something that I got married the first time thinking I was going to do, right? Right. No one does. But right. But really is willing to engage in it and not just feel like a victim of it. Right. Mm -hmm. Who for many people, it's, you know, the divorce is the way that I think of it, the intersection between what was and what will be. Mm-hmm. And it's a real opportunity to take stake of your life and rethink your priorities and your goals and where you want to go. And, and and actually, oftentimes, in this sort of divorce time, which often happens in midlife, it's a real reset on your goals and what's mm-hmm. most important. And things have changed from the time you were in college, you graduated from college or graduate school, and you're thinking, well, this is what I think is really important. You know, 10 years later, 15 years later, 20, 30 years later, you know what? You've learned a lot about life. And so our best clients are people who are like, wow, here I am. What do I really want to accomplish in the rest of my life? What's most important to me? And and really think and work that through. Uh, those are the people that we like to work with the most. Okay. And I'm sure there are some misconceptions that people have about the process or what you can accomplish for them or, you know, get done. So are there some common ones that you've run across? Well, I think there are some, there's a lack of education, Mm -hmm. right? And so it's kind of the the flip side of the coin there. Uh, So I'd rather answer it that way, if that's okay with you. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think that a lot of people think that their ideas of divorce are driven by the media. Mm -hmm. And so they don't really understand. And it's important to understand that there are a lot of choices about how you get divorced that you make at the beginning of the process Mm -hmm. and make them one way or the other. So you can either make them intentionally or you make them by default by by not by not choosing something else. Mm -hmm. And so I think that it's the idea that it has to be the war of the roses or Kramer versus Kramer or anything like that is just, you know, is not true. And so I think that, first of all, in across the country, 95 percent of divorces settle before a judge makes a decision after a trial. Mm 
Mm-hmm. 95%. Those are pretty high statistics. Yeah. And when you, what, what that means is that people are signing an agreement, settling all of the issues without having somebody else tell them what to do, like mm-hmm. the judge or mm-hmm. a jury in some circumstances, but usually it's just a judge. Mm-hmm. And so uh, if, once you realize that you're overwhelmingly likely to make your own decisions with the support of counsel, with the support of your attorney, and maybe with your therapist and or coach or financial advisor, but you're going to be making those decisions and signing a contract that resolves all the issues. Once you realize that, then it's really not a matter of whether or not you're going to, it's how you're going to. And so thinking through the options of mediation, uh, collaborative law, uh, you know, negotiation without going to court and what the pros and cons mm. of just going into court and starting an action and involving a judge without thinking through the consequences. I think in certain circumstances, it absolutely makes sense to do that. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people find themselves in a courtroom without having really realized what the consequences of that were going to be. So that's something I think I wish yeah. people knew early on in the process. There's always trade-offs. So there's always, you know, you're trading one thing for another in some way or another. So you want to, and that's, I guess, the education piece where I'm sure people come in and say, well, I've read all about what's going to go on on the internet. And I've just come in to ask you a couple questions and, you know, I want you to be on my side, but this is how I want it to go. I know that I run into that sometimes with people that I meet first time. So I know there's some, a lot of things that clients can't control, so what what happens like in divorce proceedings or the process that kind of makes it so lengthy and emotionally taxing? Is it the lack of education or is it that people have unfounded expectations of how they think it should go? What's your opinion on that? I know that's kind of a more what's your opinion question, but. Well, divorce is very complicated. You know, mm-hmm. I think of the issues as being like a knitting basket that a kitten got into and, you know, played with right. all that yarn, right? So right. that the uh, the yellow yarn, the blue yarn, the red yarn, the green yarn, it's all like tangled up together. So when you start to try to pull out the yellow yarn, the red and the blue and the green all come with it and you, right. it's all tangled up together. And I think that's why it's so hard because mm-hmm. marriage is a such a complex relationship right it's a it's a business partnership it's a intimate partnership it's a friendship it's a parenting alignment uh, it's a physical relationship you know there's so many things that go into it that when you start to try to untangle it mm. and rewind those different yarns into their own skeins um i'm not a knitter but i think that's the word we'll uh, go with it Right. (laughs) Then it's really hard to do because because it's so entwined like that. Mm -hmm. And another thing is that when marriages or any relationship starts to maybe stop working particularly well, people feel this paradigm of right and wrong. Right. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you, you know, and, and they get into a conflict dynamic. So they're constantly feeling wronged by the other person mm-hmm. and misunderstood. And then they develop a series of conflict dynamics that really don't work very well. for. So, for mm-hmm. example, you know, I know I have a couple of conflict conversations with my husband where he says something, I say something, he says something, and I know I have like right in the tip of my tongue and the front of my brain, the thing that I want to say. And Chris... I am so freaking right. 
you have no idea how right I am. You would agree I was right. Your entire family would agree. You know, the universe agrees that I'm right. But I also know that if I say that thing, that I'm so right, that I could literally script out everything that he and I are going to say for the next 20 minutes mm -hmm. and that we are going to both walk away from that conversation frustrated and unhappy. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that over time devolves and people just get into a feeling of, of feeling so uh, insulted, betrayed, unheard, unappreciated, unseen by the other person that when they get into the negotiation, it can it feels like that person is so wrong. They've done yeah. this to me and this to me and that to me. And I've been so good in this way, that way and the other way and blah, 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 blah. blah. And so that that dynamic is really obviously unhelpful to the marriage and a really a difficult thing in the divorce as well. Yeah. So if we can calm that down, you know, when I work as a mediator and I say to the couples, you know what, if you've been in marriage counseling, my job is a lot easier than that person's job because as a mediator, I just need to have a help you find a way to come apart in a civil way, not stay together where you're going to be constantly in each other's faces about this. Yeah. Yeah, I like how you said that. And I'm sure some of that carries over into the mediations and what they're willing to agree to and those types of things. Um, when they have that hurt and that resentment that carries over, that's tough. People are people. Yeah. So I've, that kind of leads into what usually are people's biggest fears or concerns. So I'm sure they come in and say, well, I don't, I don't care about this, this and that or how that goes or how this goes. I just want... A or B or C to go my way. So do you are those are those common among the people that you work with? Sure, I think that's common for everybody because you face something like divorce in your life and you think, you know what, this stinks. <laughs> right? I'm really worried about this, but I could be okay so long as, yeah. you know, something, right? So one of the things is so long as my kids are okay. Mm. Right? Or as, and my kids are okay, awesome translates to so long as we don't have to move. Right. Okay. So, you know, that we're creating some security. Another one is, uh, and let me just let just say the statistics on the children of divorce is that they're overwhelmingly okay. Mm -hmm. You know, that if they go through a period of sadness and difficulty around the divorce itself, and then they, um, they rally and that they're resilient. And so long as their parents aren't fighting all the time, and the statistics also show that high conflict between parents divorced or together is a bad indicator of future success of children. Mm. And so if you can keep the conflict in front of your children down, then your kids are likely to be okay, regardless of the outcome of the divorce. So it's mm. something for your listeners to know that uh, just because you're getting divorced doesn't mean your kids are going to have bigger challenges than right. any other kid or kid whose parents didn't get divorced. Another thing that comes up a lot is, is security and my financial security, right? And and so imagine a, a situation, and this happens a lot, where a couple has planned for retirement or old age, and they're thinking, all right, well, we're going to be 
working together with the economies of scale. So together, we're yeah. going to live in this place and together, we're going to drive this car and together, we're going to go on these vacations and all that stuff. And now we're going to divide those assets and each of us is going to have probably half of what mm-hmm. we had you know, together and we're losing the economies of scale. And so we're going to have separate houses and separate vacations and separate cars and all you know, separate refrigerators. And so that is a big fear. And frankly, it's a realistic thing to consider because you know a lot of people People say, well, I'm going to work this many, I'm going to work really hard for this many years. And according to my plan, if I work really hard for this many years, I'll be able to create this much in assets and this much in my retirement account, whatever. And then I can, whew, I can retire, right? I can work less, I can, you know, do whatever. And sometimes the reality of the situation is that people have to work longer than they might otherwise have had to in order to replace the financial security that they had as a couple. Okay. Uh, thank you for taking us through that. And I'm also, you kind of touched on this, but I'm, you know, it seems to me you're very passionate about the outcomes for the children and for the kids. And I know that the parents can sometimes use them, whether you call it a bargaining chip or they can use them as leverage. So um, I'm sure that happens more than you'd like. So how, how do you help people work through that or help, help do you help them see the way on that where they can hopefully not do that and do what is really in the best interest of the kids? Yeah, that's a great question. Thanks for asking it. You know, I think there's two things about that. One is what the parents are doing intentionally and then what's happening unintentionally. And I think when people are in litigation, it's almost impossible not to have that impact your kids. So it's almost impossible in the negotiation not to use the children or the parenting plan or custody mm-hmm. uh, as part of the bat- the legal battle. Mm-hmm. And that whether or not it's really an issue or not really an issue, it's going to be, an, it's often an apparent issue just in order to put pressure on the rest of the situation because mm-hmm. where the kids live have financial implications. You know, what the whether or not if you're in a negotiation with someone and you ask them for, for something that they're terribly afraid of losing, they're going to make concessions on things you particularly want. And that's, you know, that's a shame that, that the children have to get involved in, in that way mm-hmm. or be involved in that way. They're often assigned an, an attorney of their own, or there's a forensic evaluation of yeah. of the parents, who, and that involves interviews of the children. They are kind of pulled into the divorce very explicitly and very clearly when Obviously, that's not a wonderful thing for kids. But there's another thing about that is that when the divorce is really high conflict and it's it's scary and the divorce process itself is very hijacking and disorienting from the parents, it's really hard for those parents to show up in the best way they possibly can for their children. So if they're focused on depositions and going to court and motions and the and the fear and the expense and all of that that can take two years. I mean, it really have, sometimes it takes you know years and years and years to get all the way through that. How can they really also show up for their kids even separately? You know, and and fully and emotionally in the way the kids really deserve to have taken done. So when we're working outside the court system, we really try to bring down that 
anxiety. And of mm-hmm. course, there are big decisions to be made, Chris. And I'm not, you know, I'm not trying to poo-poo that. There are big decisions to be made, and there's a lot to think of, and it does create anxiety. But it, we can do it in a time frame and in a way that is more supportive of the of the parties as they go through it, and mm-hmm. so that the people can be more available for their children, and we can bring in parenting coaches and help them figure out how they're going to parent in from separate households or parent separately. You know, one thing that comes up in marriages all the time, and I'm sure you've talked to people about this, is that just because the parents are married together to each other and living together doesn't mean they agree on parenting. You know, one one of the things that comes up all the time, one person is more of a disciplinarian, another person is more forgiving, or one person is more safety conscious, and the Mm -hmm. other person is a little bit more lackadaisical, you know, know, so these are like conflicts that people don't really talk about often Mm -hmm. before it's, it's an issue. We should ground our, our 10 year old. What are you talking about? Grounding is the worst thing we could possibly do. And I'm not taking a position on that. I'm just saying there's conflict. So when you're, when you're living separately and you're not, you know, you don't love each other anymore. It's really easy just to start shaking your finger at the other person and saying, you know, you, you you know, you are so wrongheaded. So, but that's Mm -hmm. the ways in which we can really try to keep the children out of it and consider their needs without yanking them into the process. Yeah. Yeah. That's well said. And I'm, I'm smiling because my wife and I went through marriage counseling before we got married and um, parenting styles was not a topic, but what I found to be able to do with my kids now, when they come to me with a question and I'm suspect, I always ask them, well, did you ask your mother this? And what did she say? (laughs) (laughs) And then I I respond accordingly (laughs) from there. Maybe I need to talk to her before I get back to you. Okay, yeah. so we've been discussing uh, conflict is, is kind of a vein that's run through our conversation. And you're involved with this Center for Understanding Conflict. I think you're either the acting director or you're a big part of that. So can why don't you tell me a little bit about that and its importance sure. for you? The Center for Understanding and Conflict is an organization, and we teach the understanding-based model of conflict resolution. And this changed my life when I was introduced to this. Uh, it was right after I quit my job uh, that I talked about earlier. Yeah, I took another mediation training with the center, and it was, you know, up until that time when I got into a dispute with somebody or conflict, I was just like, I'm just going to tell you how right I am. Right? right. And I'm just like, you're wrong. And like, right. and the space for you and my conflict with you is just like shrink, 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 yeah. shrink, shrink. Right? right. Where I would just be like, you know, disregard you. And then after a while, I can just like swat you away. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Why aren't you agreeing with me? Everyone should, if everything would be better, if they would just <laughs> yes. think like me and do what I say. Because right. I'm right. right. Yeah. Of you idiot. Right. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So simply put, the understanding-based model basically says that the first step in resolving a conflict isn't for one person to try to put down the other. It's for both people to try to understand where everybody's coming from Mm -hmm. and what the outside information is. So you come into a conflict. I'm in a conflict with you. And, you know, the first thing I need to understand is me. Right. Like, why am I so upset by you? Why am I so upset by what's going on? What is it that's at stake for me? What's most important? And I also really need to understand the outside circumstances that might be impacting us. So in a divorce, you know, what's the house worth? What's the mortgage? What's in our Mm -hmm. retirement account? How do we spend our money? And a lot of people don't know how they spend their money. They just do. Right. And that that, and and so the knowledge is power and it's not about judgment. It's not like what you spend too much money on clothes or vacation or beauty or cars or what. 
watches, it's not about judging that. It's just about knowing what it is, right? Mm -hmm. And so, and then I have the opportunity to really understand from you what's important to you and why, without it being a right-wrong dynamic, right? Mm -hmm. I'm just hearing you. And that just in and of itself, that enhanced understanding relaxes the dynamic and it shifts it a little where, and, and when it shifts that little bit, resolution is possible mm. where before it seemed impossible and mm. and just having that conversation and not allowing ourselves and this takes this is really difficult when you're actually engaged yeah. in the in the conflict yourself and that's why right. mediators and lawyers you know conflict professionals can be really helpful to help you disentangle from that conflict trap we talked about earlier mm -hmm. and see that shift and see those opportunities <clears throat> that didn't appear. Oh, you feel that that's really important to you? I never knew that. Well, that's mm -hmm. really important to me too. So let's mm -hmm. see if we can work on that thing that all of a sudden, because now we've shifted the conflict a little, we can see in each other where we never saw it before. Okay. And and is that probably the one, because I wonder, I was thinking I would ask you, the one piece of advice that you would give to listeners in resolving conflict in their own lives, do you think that's what it would be is the understanding of where the other person's coming from and the gaining of that information? Yes. And though, let me add to that, if I may, I think sure. it's really important for each of us to understand ourselves first, okay. right? Because otherwise it feels like, well, wait a second, I'm, I'm now putting myself aside in order to understand you. And I'm not saying that. Right. What I'm saying is, you know, sometimes I have these conversations with myself when I'm driving by myself, you know, I'll be like upset about something or anxious with something. And I'll say out loud to myself, you know, Catherine, what's up with that? What's up mm -hmm. with you about that? Right. And then answer that question out loud for myself because mm -hmm. it just processes in a different way. So mm -hmm. if you can understand like, what's up with that? What's that triggering? Mm -hmm. Because the thing is, is that each of us come into relationship with each other, with our own history, our own trauma, our own triggers. And inadvertently, we're triggering each other or activating each other's defensive fight, fright, fleas, freeze, you know, mechanisms. And we go into this place and now we're all like upset. And, and if you can really understand what it is that's happening for yourself and why, that's a really important thing to understand. And also what your priorities are, you know, so that, you know, picking your battles, like in, in terms of what it really matters and what is just like, you're just you know, arguing to argue right, that. Right. And then you think, all right, well, I'm thinking about you. What would cause, you know, one thing that I find is really helpful is I think if I were saying the things that Chris is saying, why would I be saying that? Mm -hmm. Right. What would I be thinking about me that would cause me to think that? And and then you'll be like, oh, well, that makes sense. You know, maybe there's a misunderstanding. You know, maybe I, I would never do that. Again, it's not about me. It's about you. And we can try to understand a little bit what's going on with the, with the other person. And if you're not you know, deeply into it, to approach that other person, especially someone you love with a hypothesis of generosity. Mm -hmm. that you're coming from a good place. I love you. You're, you know, and that that's where you're coming from. You're not trying to attack me. And if you are attacking me, it's because you feel attacked. By, it's likely because you feel attacked by me. You're in the defense. And right. And if you can have some, that sense of generosity for each other, I think that makes the conversation a lot easier. And I'm not saying that people should stuff it. I think it does make it for an easier conversation mm -hmm. uh, you know, that's more uh, helpful and gets you somewhere. Right. Yeah, that's the hard work. Exactly. Right. Well, God knows we have enough conflict going on as it is. For sure. <laughs> if people could slow down and work on themselves, that would be fantastic for 
Okay, so let's switch gears just a little bit. I want to ask you from a business standpoint, what do you kind of see as your biggest opportunity for the practice going forward? Yeah, I think that, you know, it's an interesting thing, but I have found since the big recession, uh, Mm -hmm. the Great Recession of 2008, 2009, people have been wanting to focus their resources on results rather than on just useless fighting. Okay. And and post pandemic, I think that people are again reminded of the importance of finding resolutions that that make sense for them. And so, you know, I think during the pandemic, people whose marriages were not good, but not terrible, kind of white knuckled it through that difficult time, right? Yeah. But now as we come out of the pandemic, and people are thinking, you know what, maybe now is the time for us to go Mm. our separate ways, but they want to do it in a thoughtful way in a way that feels as safe as possible, because we've Mm. all of course, been threatened. So I think that the one of the biggest opportunity for for my firm and for people who work like us focusing on what's most important for the people and trying to keep them out of court if if at all possible to come up with a human solution because when people are getting divorced Chris they have a people problem with a legal consequence Mm -hmm, and you walk mm -hmm. into a lot of lawyers office they're going to be like oh legal problem people consequence And, and that's really not going to be particularly helpful so I think it's about education and for people to learn that they don't have to do it that way they can approach the divorce as a people problem and let the lawyers make it work. Yeah. The legal side of it. Okay. Well, maybe on the, on the flip side of that, Catherine, um, what do you, maybe a big challenge or an obstacle in the, for the practice that you hope to overcome? Yeah. It's that education that people get mm. scared. They feel like they need protection and, and that they, and they have this idea that the court is going to be able to protect them. And while it's true that the court does offer certain protections or certain powers, mm-hmm. a lot of times uh, you can get, you catch more flies with honey than you do with vinegar. That's and, oh, and that if you can figure out a way to negotiate this in a, in a civilized way, you're actually going to do better. And, mm-hmm. and another thing that I think is this sort of mis, misunderstanding that taking the high road is a weakness and makes you vulnerable, mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. I actually think that taking the high road makes you powerful and makes you strong, gets you a better result. And so uh, it's that misunderstanding and that sort of emotional fearful reaction that I need to protect myself. And that means I need to lawyer up and I need to, I think you should see a lawyer. I mean, I'm not saying that, but I need to, I need to be aggressive and yeah. that being aggressive is the best way to defend yourself when actually I think it's not. Mm. Okay. I like that. And if maybe if people want to learn more about you or your firm, contact you, what's the best way for them to do that? Sure. You can find us on the internet. Uh, The website is www.miller-law.com, miller-law.com. And I also have a podcast, Chris, where we've interviewed a lot of experts in the divorce world over the years, and that can be found at divorcedialogues.com. Okay. Awesome. Thank you. Catherine, I want to thank you for being here today. This was a true pleasure. I really enjoyed interviewing you. Thank you so much. It's been great to be here. Yeah. And I want to thank everybody for tuning in to the Confident Retirement Podcast for listening and watching brought to you by LPF Advisors, where we're hoping to bring the confidence of everyday people to another level, one show at a time. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in, listening. Be well. Take care. Catherine, thanks again. Thanks. You've been listening to the Confident Retirement Podcast with Chris and Mark from LPF Advisors. 
For more information on them and retiring confidently, please visit lpfadvisors.com. If your ears are pleased and your mind is now at ease, do share the program with your friends and subscribe wherever podcasts are found.